Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. that you are doing your best to survive the winter and that you've got a fireplace going or you're sitting under, underneath a blanket at least or wherever, whenever you are watching this, uh, this is really a privilege for me to be able to share what I'm going to be sharing with you today. Uh, we are actually ending off our sermon series called Full. And the question that we've been uh, asking or thinking about this these number of weeks is just this idea of sometimes we feel like we are running on empty. Sometimes it feels like our faith tanks needs to be filled up. And we've been asking this question uh, about faith. Uh, If I want to be a person, a man or woman of God that is full of faith, how do I do that? Uh, How do I I grow my faith muscles? If faith were a muscle, how do I grow that faith muscle of mine? Now, if you were to speak to anyone that has got a a, a strong and, and vibrant and enduring faith, There are probably five things, one of five things that they will tell you, or maybe even all five of these things that are like ingredients to growing your faith. If you think about, uh, you know, growing the faith muscle, there are these, you know, call it these five uh, exercises or, you know, five types of supplements or steroids that you can take that can help you grow those faith muscles of yours. And um, some people will tell you, and these five things are firstly, uh, in, the, in the, one of the first weeks we spoke about the practical teaching, is when we start practicing what Jesus teaches us in the Bible, our faith starts growing. Uh, some people, you speak to them and, and you admire them for their faith, and you'll probably see in their lives that they have been uh, practically applying the Word of God in their lives. And because of that, as a result, their faith has been growing. Uh, the one-liner for you know, that week when we spoke about the practical teaching was that when our obedience meets God's faithfulness, our faith grows. When we put into practice what God stirs in our hearts, uh, that is when our faith grows. Uh, I told you the story about Peter uh, sitting in the boat and being called by Jesus to come and walk on the water. And after that calling, Peter then steps out. He makes it practical. Uh, you know, he puts into practice what Jesus is calling or, or you're calling him to. And as he steps onto the water and he sees the water holding his weight, his faith grew, obviously. And so when our obedience meets God's faithfulness, our faith grows. So that's one of the ways that you can grow your faith is by making it practical. Apply the things that we are taught in this wonderful Bible. So that's the first one. And then we spoke about personal ministry. Uh, We had a sermon on the fact that those who minister to others, their faith grows. Uh, So my my cousin, whom I love very much, he joined this church a number of years ago. But I know if you ask him, one one of the things that helped him to grow his faith was when he signed up to join the kids ministry in our church. When he started to minister and serve at children's church, you know, jumping up and down like a clown to entertain the kids and, and sometimes just teaching the most basic teachings on who Jesus is to little kids. In serving other people, his faith started to grow. Just this past weekend, we went on a trip uh, to Durban where we took a whole bunch of food down there on this mission trip. And if you were to speak to those a bit more than 30 people that went on this trip, I'm pretty sure that almost all of them will tell them, will tell you that their faith was stirred when they stepped out and started to minister to other people. 
those who serve the most are usually the most healthy Christians. And so that is another way in which we can grow our faith is when we start looking out and we start serving others because Jesus said it is better to give than receive even when it comes to just ministering to other people. So that's another ingredient for a full faith is, is not only practical teaching but it's also personal ministry uh, toward others whether it be at church or anywhere else in the city. The third one that we looked at was the sermon on providential relationships. Now the word providential is only chosen so that all five of these ingredients can start with the letter P. But basically, it's the concept that God sent certain people across your way. You know, everyone that, that is full of faith, they'll have a story of someone that invited them to church or someone that started walking the road with them and discipled them. God sending certain people across our path uh, so that our faith can grow. Now, obviously for us, we can be proactive with this. Uh, we can actually be wise in terms of the people that we decide to spend time with. If you are going to invest your time with other people that are full of faith, your faith will grow. If you only spend time with people that have got contradicting values to your Christian values, you will struggle to grow in your faith. It's as simple as that. And then the fourth one that we looked at, the fourth ingredient of, of having a full faith was this idea of private disciplines or spiritual disciplines. People who are consistent in, in reading the Bible or if you have a, a level of consistency when it comes to prayer or consistency when it comes to going to church or in giving, when you do those things consistently, your faith grows. We also spoke about the idea that it's so important that these things should not be an ought to. Sometimes they start off being an ought to, I should do this, but they should become a want to. And when we start doing them, they actually do, when we discover the life that is in these disciplines, they actually become a want to. That is why these are not religious uh, practices. They are relational habits that we can put in place to grow our faith. And then the fifth P that we are looking at today is pivotal circumstances. Sometimes there are these events that happen in our lives. There are these pivotal circumstances that come across our way that help us to grow in our faith. And uh, if you speak to someone that is full of faith, that you admire, they will probably tell you about a time in their life where God did something significant. A, a sort of a divine appointment or a, a certain season in their lives that was pivotal, that, that redefined their lives in some sort of way. Now, uh, these pivotal circumstances are things that are sort of catalytic or, or disruptive uh, moments in our lives or defining moments in our lives. Now, they can be positive uh, moments and they can also be very negative moments when we face certain difficulties or even suffering those circumstances can be opportunities for growth in our faith. They can be positive. Uh, for instance, when I became a father, I've got three boys now, and uh, I love being a dad uh, to them. But I remember when I started fathering my own child, there was something about the love of God and the father heart of God toward me that I started to understand in, in a new way. It was, re it was defining uh, for me becoming a parent, uh, you know, to my boys. Now, for most of us, uh, we are well acquainted with trouble or troubles, uh, troubling times in our lives. 
Now, uh, what I want to be looking at today is to make this, this main point is that seasons of difficulty in your life are opportunities for growth for your faith. You know, one of the ingredients of a strong and full faith is the way that you go through difficult times in your life. The way that you, you, you see uh, uh, challenges and pain and suffering in the way that God actually sees them. And, and you see how God is working in those areas and that you see your faith can actually grow in them. Now, maybe you are there today. Maybe you're watching this uh, sermon and you find yourself just maybe after a bad breakup. I've got a good friend of mine that, that recently went through a very bad breakup and he's broken at this moment. Now, if you are going through something like that, maybe you lost a job or you, you experienced a setback financially or in your career, maybe you even lost a loved one because of this COVID pandemic, because of another reason. Maybe you are suffering because of an illness that you are facing right now. Now, if you are in a time like that, I want to say that, that, that I believe that your, your season of difficulty does not have to be in vain. It could be a pivotal moment where God does something in this season and your faith can grow. You can become a fuller person in faith, even in a time like this. Maybe even because of a time like this, especially in a time like this. This is probably one of the most powerful ingredients for a full faith is when our faith gets tested. Because a faith that does not get tested cannot be trusted. Now, C.S. Lewis uh, says the following. If you identify at all with this idea of, you know, finding yourself in a season of difficulty right now, C.S. Lewis uh, says this. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God loves speaking to us in our pains. It's as if God has our attention when we are going through pain and suffering. Maybe you are experiencing that right now. Maybe you've hit rock bottom and you realize that you are more open to God than what you used to be. You are searching for God more right now because of the difficulty that you are facing. God has your attention and I trust that he's going to work at your faith right now. But maybe you listen to this and you are a little bit more skeptical. When I speak about this idea of pain and suffering, uh, you might be saying, well, the troubles that I'm facing at this moment is not making my faith grow. It's actually making me doubt a little bit more. It feels like my faith is not getting stronger. In fact, it's feeling like my faith is getting weaker at this moment because of the the difficulty that I'm facing right now. Uh, you might even go so far to start asking questions like, well, how can we believe in a loving God if there's so much pain and suffering uh, in this world? You know, it's an irreconcilable tension that you experience. The existence of pain and suffering and the existence of God cannot go together, uh, perhaps. Or you may be asking questions like that. Well, let me just uh, say this, is that Pain and suffering or the existence of pain and suffering does not prove that God does not exist. In fact, God has never claimed that because of his existence, there will not be pain and suffering. You know, as Christians, we actually don't believe in a God that does not allow pain and suffering. In fact, if you look at the Bible, now just remember this, the Bible is the, the self-revelation of God. Um, and so when we read what the Bible says, it, it, the Bible is, is when God tells us, who he says 
he is. Now in the Bible, the only two chapters or places where, where you know, there's no suffering, if you want to divide the Bible into three parts, you have the first two chapters in Genesis that is basically before suffering. You know, that's the section of before suffering, the first two chapters of the Bible. And then again in Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible is basically what you can call after suffering. And then everything in between has got to do with suffering. It's got to do with the reality of pain and suffering and how to glorify God in that. You know, the Bible does not claim that you will not experience difficulty or troubles in this life. Not at all. That was never the claim. In fact, later on in the sermon, I want to read you a scripture where Jesus gives us almost this promise that in this life you will have troubles. You see, the, uh, just to put it in this way that Andy Stanley said it, he says that all that pain and suffering proves is that the God who doesn't allow pain and suffering doesn't exist. Now that might sound confusing. Basically, what it means is that as Christians, we have never ever believed in a God that doesn't allow pain and suffering. Right. The Bible is very practical. It is very real. And it deals with the real issues of your life that you are facing right now also. Now, we don't pray to God because there's no pain and suffering. That was never the promise that if you follow me, there will be no problems. In fact, Jesus says that you will have many troubles in this life. Another way that Andy Stanley uh, puts it is he says that Christians believe in the God who allowed the worst possible thing to happen to the best possible person. The cross happened to Jesus. Pain and suffering is not outside of the economy of God. It's not outside of the reality of God. If you are facing difficulty, this is the main point for today. If you are facing difficulty, just know that this is an opportunity, not only to glorify God, but it is an opportunity for your faith to grow, that you can become fuller when it comes to your faith and your walk with God. Now, here's another idea that, that might be able to help you a little bit um, on this tension of pain and suffering and, and you know, the reality of God. As if you think about the, the authors of the New Testament, right? So people like uh, uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke and, and, and John and James and Peter, all of these men that walked with Jesus and, and gave us the New Testament. And then someone like Paul uh, that, that actually hated Christians until he had a vision of Jesus himself. And then he started following Christ. You know that all of them, they were like, you know, in the, in the, in the middle of the working of God in that season. And, and at such an important moment in history, they walked with the Son of God. Yet, all of them knew pain and suffering. Almost all of them were killed because they followed Jesus. They were all persecuted and faced many trouble, many, many troubles, many trials in their lives because they followed Jesus. See, the Christian promise was never that if you follow Jesus, that everything will be okay and you will never ever face any difficulty. The Christian promise is something different. Now, one of these uh, apostles that we read about in the New Testament is a guy by the name John. Now, you know, this idea of a loving God that we have in the West today is probably given to us by the Apostle John. He explained to us that God is love. Now, if you were to go to John and you were to ask him, John, but how can you say that God is love? Look at, show me the love. Where is the love? Like Black Eyed 
Peace sang in that hit song they had many years ago. Where is the love? John, show me the love. How can you say God is love? Where is the love? John would probably respond by saying, no, 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 I'm not saying the world is love. No, no, the world is a mess. There's lots of pain and, and suffering. And even Jesus told me we are going to face many troubles in this life. I'm saying that God is love. And because I look to Him, I find my peace in Him, I can actually face the world or the, the difficulties that I do see in front of me. And my faith can actually get stronger in times like that. You see, John would tell you that he looked into the eyes of the Son of God, the, the, the perfect representation of God on earth. He looked into his eyes and he saw love. Therefore, I'm saying that God is love. And he didn't leave us alone. He came into our pain and suffering. And he also suffered with us and also for us. God is love. He's not saying that everything in the world or that the world is love. Another apostle is, uh, is or, or one of the, the men that wrote uh, a portion of the New Testament is James. He was the brother of Jesus and he was also a leader in the church. And church history tells us that he was you know, also framed and taken out of the city and they stoned him to death. James. Now, if you were to ask the same question to James and ask him about the topic of, of pain and suffering and saying, James, look at this. I mean, you, you're getting killed for following Jesus. I thought following Jesus means everything's going to be okay. Um, James would tell you the following because he says it in James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 and 3. He says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And so in just in that, again, the Bible is recognizing that you will face trials of many kinds. Maybe you are facing a trial of some kind right now. And he says, because you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith, you see, you see facing a trial, facing difficulty, the difficulty that you might be facing right now, it is the testing of your faith. And I think when he means testing, what he means by testing isn't like, you know, if you don't pass this test, then you're going to go to hell. If you, if you pass this test, maybe then you can go to heaven. No, no. Testing your faith means it, it's an opportunity for growth, right? It's like when you go to the gym and you exercise, you, you're in a sense testing your body. But that testing is to make it stronger. You are exercising it. It is, a, it is exercising your faith muscles through all kinds of trials. And he says... Know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You see, when you endure in a difficult time like you are enduring right now, at the other end, you will have an enduring faith, a faith that has endured, that has tested, has been tested and has persevered, a faith that is stronger and fuller. The reality is that we don't know what we actually believe until that which we claim we believe gets tested. Until it really gets tested, we don't know what we really believe. Greg Laurie puts it this way. He says that a faith that can't, or that can't be tested can't be trusted. Uh, maybe, you know, for young people, if you were to speak to someone, maybe some of the older men and women that we find in church um, that, that we see are full of faith, and you get to know them a little bit better, chances are that they will tell you about some difficult moments in their lives that they have gone through, but that those difficult moments with the times of testing of their faith, where their faith actually grew. Right now, in difficulty, it is an opportunity for your faith to grow. Now, just speaking about this idea of being tested, there is another guy, um, we spoke about John and James, there's another apostle, uh, Peter. 
Um, and his faith was also tested. And I want to show you that he actually failed the test. But even when he failed the test, it still meant that his faith grew. You know, maybe you, you think back on your life or you think just right now that you are failing the test. Uh, that, you know, that your faith is not growing, so maybe I'm just failing the test. Or you think back at opportunities or trials in the past that you didn't, you know, hold on to God and you feel like, man, I failed the test and my faith isn't growing. Sometimes even in failing the test, your faith can grow. So Peter, um, there's a wonderful story about Peter that uh, Jesus warns him and he, and he says that, you know, your faith will be tested, Peter, before Jesus goes to the cross. And he says, I pray uh, that, 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 that um, or Jesus actually says, Peter, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then Peter is a bit offended because he's one of the bold disciples. He says, maybe, maybe their faith will fail, but not mine, Jesus. I'm willing to die for you, right? And he's you know, ready to die for Jesus and go to war. And then they arrest Jesus. And then Jesus is on trial on his way to the cross almost. And then people recognize Peter. And they say, Peter, aren't you one of his followers? Even there was a teenage girl that came to him and says, aren't you with Jesus? And he denies Jesus. He fails the test of faith. He thought he was bold, but he wasn't. He fails. And then he fails a second time and he fails a third time, right? Fail, fail, fail. He denies Jesus three times. But then Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. All of the apostles basically failed the test. They, or most of them ran away, we read. And then Jesus is raised from the dead, he finds his disciples and he restores them. You know, he, 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 he calls them closer so that they can see him and, and Jesus restores Peter and he actually puts him in charge. He puts him in charge of the church. He says, feed my sheep. Peter was the first leader of the church. And Peter's like, no, no, I failed the test. You can't put me in charge, put John in charge. Like he, he didn't fail the, uh, the test. And Jesus basically tells him, you weren't ready then. But now, you've gone through the test. You're ready now. I know next time's going to be different. And then about two months later, Peter and John walk uh, into the city and there is a, a man that was paralyzed from birth. Acts chapter 4, we read this. Um, and a man that was paralyzed from birth. And he asked for money. He says, well, gold and silver we don't have. But in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And this guy gets healed. In the name of Jesus. And this guy is so excited, he goes and tells everyone. And then the people that killed Jesus, the very people that Peter was afraid of, that the disciples ran away from because they knew what they, these guys actually did to Jesus, they're afraid they're going to do it to them also. Those same people, they call Peter and John and they ask him, in whose name did you do this? In Acts chapter 4. Basically saying, don't tell me that you guys are really still following that Jesus of Nazareth. In whose name did you do this? Now this time, Peter doesn't deny the faith. No, no, because his faith has grown, because it has been tested already. Acts chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. Peter responds after being asked, in whose name did you do this? And he says, knowing this, or know this, you and all the people of Israel, Saying, Peter saying, not only, not only you guys, everyone. I want everyone to know this now. All the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus. And just to clarify, remember back then, Jesus was a very common name. It's like Johan in South Africa. 
Like there's like a million, two million Johans in South Africa. Or it's like to me. Like in a crowd of people, if you shout to me, like four people will look at you because there's like, it's a, like a male and a female name. Very common name. Jesus was a common name in Israel, right? So, but Peter wants to make it clear. Like Jesus of Nazareth. And he doesn't stop there. And he's ready for a fight. You can see this. Because he says, Jesus of Nazareth. Just to be sure, I'm not speaking about any Jesus. I'm speaking about Jesus of Nazareth. Whom you crucified, the one that you guys killed, standing before the people that he ran away from. Peter is standing boldly, saying, the one whom you crucified, by whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then he doesn't stop because, he, I mean, that's answering the question. It was by Jesus' name, Jesus Nazareth, that you killed. He doesn't stop there. Like Peter's ready for a fight. Right, he wants to pick a fight. Verse 11, he says, Jesus is, the, and then he quotes the Old Testament, which must have offended these religious leaders, right? Jesus is, he quotes the Old Testament, the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He wants to make it abundantly clear who he is following. Now we read that. And it looks like it's a different Peter. The Peter before the tests, before the trials, and the Peter after the failed trials is two different Peters. The one is a coward, and the other one is a bold and courageous follower of Jesus. Because his faith was tested, it grew. Because his faith was tested, it grew. Maybe your faith. God is busy growing your faith, even if it feels like you're failing the test, even if it feels like you're doubting God more than what you've ever doubted Him. Know this, hold on to God. In this time of difficulty, God might be doing with you what He did with Peter back then. Now, the question you might be asking, well, make it practical for me. What should I do? I'm facing difficulty. I want that bold type of faith that Peter has. And I want this, this, this difficulty that I'm facing. I want it not to be in vain, not to be just pain and suffering. I want it actually to do something to my faith that I might be full of faith, just like Peter after the many tests. So what is it that you should do? I want to summarize it just in this one thing. It's all about how you frame your difficulty. It's all about how you frame your pain and your suffering. Whatever situation you find yourself in, it's about how you frame it. It's about how you understand what you believe about God and who, which voice you are busy listening to right now. Are you listening to the voice of other people or you know, voices that are bringing doubt um, into your own worth and your own value? Or are you listening to the voice of Jesus and who He says you are in this moment? You know, how are you framing your, your, your suffering? Another way to put it, it's about the glasses that you put on through which you look at the difficulty that you are facing or going through right now. Whenever you go through difficulty, if you want your faith to grow, you need to put on the right glasses. And those glasses, those lenses, the way that you should frame it is a Christ-centered lens. You should frame it through the person of Jesus. Frame it through, you know, reading about Jesus in the New Testament and, and the gospel of Jesus. Because it's as simple as that, as this. If you can spot God in it, we are more likely to maintain faith through it. If 
we can spot God in it, we are more likely to maintain or even grow faith in it. If we can see God in it, and this is why we pray in everything, and especially in times of difficulty, this is why we pray, God, help me to see it the way that you see it. If you start seeing it the way that God sees it, start framing it the way that God frames it. You see God in it. And again, that doesn't mean that God has brought about this suffering. It could have been the consequence of someone else's bad decisions or even your own bad decisions or just the, you know, the freedom of this universe that we are living in that sometimes bad things happen. It's not always God. God can, but it's not always God that makes these difficult times come across your way. But in those difficult times, you need to still spot God, spot that where God is working and realize that God is right there next to you and with you in your times of difficulty. Because when you do that, when you spot God in that situation, the opportunity for faith growth is huge. Then your faith can actually start growing. Embrace it. I wanna encourage you, if you're facing difficulty, don't just run away from it, embrace it, but spot God in it, frame it in the right way, see it as He sees it, so that the same thing can happen to you than what happened to Peter. The coward became a courageous apostle that led many people to his Lord and Savior. I want to end off with a scripture that Jesus gives his disciples before he actually gets arrested. The last evening he speaks to his disciples and he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. So you see, we find our peace sometimes in this world. Sometimes we find our peace in the fact that we don't suffer. Like the, the absence of pain and suffering means I'm living a blessed life. And if that is the way that you are living, you are finding your peace in this world. So he's saying, don't find your peace in this world. No, no, no. Find your peace in me. And then Jesus goes on. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. It's a promise. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. If you are facing difficulty, hold on to Jesus right now. Find your peace in Him. Because if you do, I promise you, your faith will grow and you will become full of faith because it will be a faith that was tested. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.